when this thing started, nobody knew it was coming. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we, we can pray and I do believe God hears our prayers and God and our prayers move God, but nobody decides when God is going to move. God moves when he decides to move. And I don't know why he picked that Wednesday two weeks ago. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this Run the Race podcast. Your host, Jason Dennis here. I hope you guys are having a great day wherever you are as we uh, kind of launch into this uh, month of March of 2023. The, the year's definitely going by fast. And you know, um, we've, we've been talking for months, really years now, about how our, our world, our country is so divided and, you know, from I know from a Christian perspective and, and from a lot of perspectives, we need a revival. We need a coming together. Um, and so um, and, and we, we've seen uh, a revival happening at the Asbury Chapel Church uh, there in a small, small uh, town in Kentucky led by college students, you know. Te late teenagers, 20-somethings, uh, pretty amazing. And uh, the guest uh, on our podcast today is, is a man who him and his wife are, are leaders in the Methodist movement worldwide. And they went to that revival in Asbury. So he's going to talk to me about that today and, and uh, about uh, what is revival and the misconceptions of it. And is this, uh, is this legitimate? Is this authentic? Or can something like this be faked with emotions? And uh, so, you know, and you when you walk into a church, especially if you're not used to going to church, sometimes you think, is this a put on? Is this a show? Or is this, you know, authentic uh, kindness and love and, and Christianity? And uh, this revival uh, broke out on February 8th. Just a regular chapel service. And this is not something they planned to have two weeks of nonstop praise and worship and prayer, but but it happened, and uh, thousands of people attended. Uh, this town's only six thousand people uh, large, and, and it got a lot bigger over the last couple weeks. Uh, last month, the last Asbury service open to the public was held this past Wednesday night. But the goal is really for it to continue on across the nation. And uh, then uh, this past Sunday, just a few days ago, uh, a evangelist and hundreds of volunteers took to Kentucky's temple, as it's called, Rupp Arena, and they had a send-off for these young people to take what they've learned and continue to share it in other places of worship in everyday life and, and what was really an unprecedented revival there at Asbury. And I'm going to talk to Bishop uh, Keith Coward about that, about uh, what, it was, uh, what it was really like. Dr. Uh, Keith Coward is a graduate of Georgia Southern University from 1986 and went to Asbury Theological Seminary. Uh, him and, and his wife also are graduates of ATS. Uh, they have two adult sons and several grandchildren. You know, and uh, in 1997, so uh, more than two decades ago, the Cowards planted Christ Community Church in Columbus. In fact, we have uh, their the new pastor that's been there several years. We had him on on my podcast about a year ago, and so uh, you know Keith was the the lead pastor at that church that he planted uh, and for uh, more than two decades, and had a major role in planting four other churches and sending out more than 30 men and women to serve as pastors, ministry directors, military chaplains, missionaries all around the world. And that's a true test of a leader, someone who can uh, you know help teach and form and mentor. And then those people go out and uh, kind of spread the good news. Hopefully what will happen from this revival and uh, during uh, his tenure, Keith has served as an area director for the Methodists in Southern Europe about seven or eight years ago. He, uh, following a brief term as superintendent of the Southeast region, 
Keith was elected bishop of the Free Methodist Church in 2019, a very important position he's had for the last three plus years. As bishop, Keith Coward oversees one third of the U.S. and Free Methodist World Missions in Europe and the Middle East. So, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about that in our discussion about planting churches, traveling the world, what it's like, you know, in the Middle East compared to America in terms of churches. Uh, and again, his experiences at this Asbury revival. And uh, here's what he has to say about it. By the way, uh, Keith and I have a, a relationship from a few years ago where we were both on the board of directors for a local nonprofit ministry called Take the City and got to know Keith a little bit then. That was back when he was kind of interviewing or getting ready to, to become elected one of the, the bishops um, for the Methodists. And uh, uh, Keith, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Jason. It is a it's a delight. It's good to see you again, and it's been a little while since we've been able to talk, and I've been uh, looking forward to this. And uh, thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, you know, uh, people are always curious because maybe they they didn't get a chance to go there in person. I know some folks from around here, Georgia and Alabama, did make the trip up to Wilmore, Kentucky. I know you and your wife spent some some time there, and your wife, I think, even stayed after a little bit. To, to serve those who were serving, which is such an important thing to do. So tell me about uh, what that experience was like in terms of, you know, maybe did it uh, meet, surpass your expectations in terms of what uh, was really happening on the ground there at Asbury? Yeah. So Jason, uh, Pam and I were in Israel um, leading a group of free Methodists on a, a tour of Israel when uh, we got word that this was was breaking out, um, we just saw a few Facebook posts. Then some friends started texting us, telling us what was going on. And when we got home, um, we began to follow it from afar. Uh, and I called some friends that that live up there that I have a, a relationship with that I trust greatly. And I kind of said, "Hey, tell tell me about what's happening there. Is this legit? You know, is this something that you really think is the real deal?" And um, and would it be beneficial for us to come up and and uh, just experience it for ourselves? And and these friends said, absolutely, it's a real deal. It's authentic. It's beautiful. So we decided to go. Um, actually, my wife woke up uh, last Wednesday, well, Wednesday, almost two weeks ago now, um, and just said, I think we're supposed to get a VRBO and just house people who need a place to stay. And so she jumped on that. We did. We found one, believe it or not, that was available um, south of Lexington, close to Wilmore. And as it turned out, some of the some of the folks in leadership needed a place to stay. And so that's what ended up happening is and uh, Pam, Pam served them in that way. And then I joined her last Friday um, and uh, well, we we were drove up together last Friday and uh, our own, our main desire was simply to go in and just observe, participate. Honestly, the Lord was moving in our heart already. I mean, this is one of the things that uh, Jason, to me, really confirmed. God is up to something because uh, as I just heard the stories of what God was doing, it birthed in me two days before we even went up there, this growing hunger to say, Lord, I want something fresh. I want a fresh move of your spirit in my life. And the Lord began to show me some things that were in the way, some things that I needed to release to him, surrender. And um, 
so by the time we got up there, we just wanted to go in and worship. Um, but as we got there, we bumped into a few people that we knew and they said, hey, they really need you to come in and pray, be a part of the prayer team. And so we did. We were not in the main auditorium, but we were in one of the satellite sites across the street at the seminary. Um, and and so your question was, part of what you wanted to, to talk about was just how do you know it's real? Um, you know, how do you how do you know that this is something that's of God and not of of humanity? Um, I, I would answer that question this way first. I would say what was striking to me immediately was how unremarkable the components of this whole thing were. What I mean by that is the worship team was totally unprofessional. It was one guitar, maybe a keyboard, two or three singers. They weren't a band. They were just kids that could sing who were up there leading worship. Um, the preaching was, first of all, pretty sparse. There wasn't a lot of it. When there was, it was very, very simple. And it was not particular. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't impressive, even from just a purely preaching standpoint. Uh, the worship was beautiful and wonderful, but it wasn't. Um, it wasn't super high emotional. It was, in fact, there were times where it was almost silent and quiet, as people were just in deep, deep prayer, and yet people were flooding the altars, and it was like. There, it, this is clearly a move of God because there's nothing here in and of itself that would cause you to step back and say, okay, well, this happened because there was this unbelievable preacher that came in and just brought all these messages or this wonderful worship team that just set people on fire. It was none of that. I mean, it was simply people were coming in and they, and, and many times they would walk in the door and just go straight to the altar and start praying and asking God to save them or to uh, to deliver them or to confess, you know, those kind of things. Um, and yet, even, you know, I mean, there was the main auditorium that held over a thousand people. I don't know exactly what the capacity was. It was being live streamed to three different facilities across the street at the seminary. All four of those were jam-packed with people, and there were thousands outside on the lawn waiting to get in. Um, and the stories of what God was doing were just amazing. And so it, it was there was nothing about one particular aspect of it that just stood out. But it was clearly God was just moving in a way that, quite frankly, I've never— I've never seen that much responsiveness. It's like the spirit was moving on people's hearts and people were just responding. I mean, just quick response. They were moving to, to act on what God was doing. And that's what was so profound. Yeah, you, uh, you wrote kind of a, a description um, on uh, social media and sent it out to the Free Methodists uh, about, you know, your and Pam's experience. And you wrote on there that, you know, at, at one point in the service, you could no longer sing and your eyes were filled with tears, quietly listened to more than a thousand high school and college students worship God with pure devotion. And it was just that beauty of that simple, authentic outpouring of love for our Savior. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't something like you said, it wasn't like the lights 
or the performance or like something because you know there's cynics out there whether they're you know, cynics yeah. in the church or cynics yeah. outside the church looking for reasons to like say well look they're just doing this for show um and so i mean what would you say to them in terms of you know you saw it in for yourself yeah uh i can tell you this was probably not widely known or reported but there were quite a few big name people that showed up musicians you know if i were to tell you their names you'd know anybody that listens to contemporary christian music would know immediately who they were and there were some preachers that showed up that if i tell you their names you'd recognize them and they came in and I don't know for sure uh, whether they wanted some stage time or not, but whether they wanted it or not, they were told immediately, you're welcome to come in and worship with everyone else. But we have students that are leading worship, and we have students that are, um, for the most part, uh, giving testimonies. There were some uh, some faculty and some adults, chaplains on campus that were doing some of the speaking, but the vast majority of this in terms of who was up front, were, they were all Asbury University students. Um, it, it wasn't anybody from the outside coming in. And beautifully, as people like that did come in, as far as I know, they all did. They just went out and started worshiping with everybody else. And um, so that's part of it, is, it's, is that they they clearly were not trying to um, uh, play on celebrity they weren't playing on people that were famous. These were students that were 20 years old in college that uh, were simply up there leading people in worship. And I, it, that piece that you just read came on the last night that I was there. And the main auditorium was essentially um, uh, only 25 and under could go in, except for a few people like myself. They they did have some people like us that were in there praying, and um, uh, but uh, it was almost entirely 20, 18 to 25-year-olds. And to watch that generation just singing with all their heart, worship to God, it was all so Jesus-focused. It wasn't focused on a church. It wasn't focused on a denomination. It wasn't focused on uh, celebrities. Jesus was clearly the focus of the gathering. And Jesus was constantly lifted up. Jesus was constantly uh, worshipped. And um, that's why, and I believe that's why uh, this thing did not go into that realm where all of a sudden now people are taking charge of it and people are running with it. And it becomes a thing of the flesh. And, uh, you know, it's, you talked about how, um, you know, when you were there, you know, you, it was a really, a, you felt like a move of the spirit for those mm -hmm. that are listening to this podcast and maybe they're, uh, they're churched or unchurched or whatever. And they hear that and they may not know really, what does that mean? Maybe they've never experienced that move of the Holy spirit in, in a church setting. Maybe, you know, they hear a still small voice, but so explain to me, like in layman's terms, what, is there a certain feeling? Because people say it's maybe it's not about feelings and emotions. It's about God, you know, sure. just like kind of thrusting you forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, first of all, um, you know, we are told to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And the heart is the seat of the emotions. And so what I was going to what I'm going to say is not in any way to speak against emotion. I mean, I think we ought to love God with our emotions. And and I'll tell you, there were times where these kids 
were just so overcome with love for Jesus that they were they were worshiping with all their might. They they were jump they were kids jumping around and that but the, quite frankly that was not all that common. Um, I would say the real uh, indication of the spirit moving is one people's hearts are softened and maybe where their hearts have been hard or cynical or resistant um, or even angry at God or just turned off to God suddenly now their hearts are soft um, they 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 know intuitively or deep in their hearts they know what's wrong um, whether that's sin or just uh, a way of life or whatever, they know what's wrong. And then they are responding and finding relief, finding deliverance, finding healing, finding uh, uh, an assurance in their heart that they are right with God. Um, and then the the other thing that I would point to is just how we heard this. I can't tell you how many times we heard this. I mean, just countless stories of people who, while they're at the altar, felt like the Lord was saying, you have a broken relationship with this person, and I want you to make it right. Hmm. And they would immediately get up. And if they were in the room, they'd go to them right there. I mean, you think about our church services typically in America, and you don't just get up in the middle of the service and go to somebody that you've been mad at for six months and ask them to forgive you. But that's the kind of thing that was happening. People were getting up and going straight to the person they had problems with, and asking for forgiveness and asking the Lord to heal that relationship, or they were calling a parent or a fr or a, a, a friend who they were no longer in relationship with, or someone they had had conflict with. They were calling them on the phone and just saying, "Hey, I'm sorry. Uh, I was wrong. I want to ask for your forgiveness." And in some cases, they were even there were people who had been hurt who were saying. You know what you did hurt me, but I want you to know I love you and I want to forgive you and I want to make this right. I mean, I would say to you, J Jason, that that kind of thing is an indication of a real move of the spirit. Anybody can manufacture emotion. Emotion's a good thing, but but we can manufacture that. What you can't manufacture is heart change, and you can't manufacture obedience where people are actually acting on what the Lord is is telling them to do. Um, other kids were coming up and saying they were feeling like the Lord was calling them to, to ministry or to missions or to serve in some way. Um, and that's where you just really begin to sense, okay, the, the spirit is moving in a way that can't be manufactured. Yeah. And that obedience and surrender almost, I mean, immediately, like you said, um, leading to that that healing, that restoration, that forgiveness that sometimes can you know take months or years, and, right. it, and it happens in a moment. Um, but because you know you kind of like you take the pride out of it, you take the you know the the awkwardness out of it, and everything is just. It, I guess it it gave them a uh, a boldness that they probably didn't even know they had. That's right. And you know, I'll I'll, I'll touch on one more thing too that I think is really important. This wasn't planned. Uh, nobody planned this in, in any way. Um, it it and, and to me, Jason, I'm, and I'm going to use a term here that I may need to kind of define a little bit, but um, I think what we've seen in this is where the sovereignty of God and the, 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 the responsibility of humanity come together. Because on the one hand, I can tell you I know 
I know because I know the individuals. There have been people that have been praying weekly and fasting for months for an outpouring of God's Spirit. Um, we've been a part of a group of, of thousands that have been praying for uh, an awakening in, in our nation uh, and in our churches uh, for years. I mean, for seven years, there are hundreds, even thousands of people that have been praying fervently for a a great awakening in the U.S. spiritually. Um, and yet, when this thing started, nobody knew it was coming. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can pray, and I do believe God hears our prayers and, God, and our prayers move God, but nobody decides when God is going to move. God moves when he decides to move. And I don't know why he picked that Wednesday two weeks ago, um, but he just decided this is the day. And if you haven't heard the story, it's like uh, this guy gave a message. Have you heard the, the uh, how no, it started? Not, give me the layman's terms version. Well, this this young guy who twenty uh, something kid brought a message that you can actually find this on YouTube. If you listen to a sermon, I don't mean this in any way critically. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't remarkable. I mean, the guy is a decent communicator, but there's nothing remarkable about him as a communicator. The message was really basic. And they even cut him off because he's going too long. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he basically said, uh, hey, I, I'm going to have to stop. But, you know, uh, if if you feel like God is speaking to you and you and you can stick around and and, and ask God to, to meet you here. And then he said he called his wife and told his wife that was a stinker. Right? He said, I just I believe it. He said, no good. But 19 kids stayed and those 19 kids started praying. And they started confessing sin to one another. And God, God began to move with, among those 19. They started calling their friends and said, hey, God is doing something here. You need to come back. And they, they started coming back. And then all of a sudden, it, well, it never stopped. That, that was just a simple Wednesday chapel service. They have them every Wednesday. They've had them every Wednesday for 100 years. And, but on this particular Wednesday, the spirit fell and people started responding and it didn't stop until last night. Um, and the last on-campus service did take place last night. Yeah. Um, now we're, we're recording this on Friday. It's this, this episode will come out next week, but so we yep. went on, is it two and a half weeks or more than two weeks? I guess total, total. 16, 17 days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then some people are going to criticize them for that because I mean, I mean, I don't, the, the service last night was live stream because it was the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. And they were praying for revival across every campus in the U.S., every university, every college. Uh, hundreds of colleges signed into this. Um, it was the last night, and the gym was abs- – I'm not the gym. The auditorium was absolutely packed. They were live streaming it across the street. Um, this thing did not peter out. It ended on a super high note. And 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 some people are going to say, this could have gone on and on. They could have kept going with it. But here's, I can tell you, because I know the heart of the leaders, and, and, and their sense was this, that it should never become about that place. And people should never get to the point where they start thinking, I've got to go to Wilmore, Kentucky in order to hear from God. I've got to go to Wilmore, Kentucky, in order to sense the Lord's presence. Yeah, that, that would be a that'd be a tragedy. 
um, what needed to happen and what they really have embraced is this idea that everybody who is here needs to go out and take it back to your city or your church or your university, um, which is quite frankly, very, very biblical um, because we see this pattern in scripture where God, one of God's first commands was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And you remember the story of the tower of Babel Uh, just several chapters into Genesis um, the people are now wanting to build this tower and they want to build up to the heavens rather than go out to multiply. Yeah. Um, and so God, God puts a curse on and drives them out. Uh, after Pentecost, Jesus had said, take this from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But it didn't leave Jer- Jerusalem until persecution came and drove them out. Um and I think, and, and then you see it in the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John are up on the mountain, and Jesus is glorified, and it's incredible, it's wonderful, and they're like, "Hey, let's build three, let's build three uh, shelters and just stay here forever." And Jesus immediately led them off the mountain and into a valley where there was a little boy that was possessed by a demon, and there were folks squabbling with each other. And the lesson in all three of those is this. God wants to move, but he wants to move out. Um, And so I think they're doing exactly the right thing by saying it's time for it to end here. But it's not time for it to end. It's just time for these meetings to stop in Wilmore. But let's now take this out and see it go all all across the land. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, whether it's on purpose or not, you know, we all have somewhat of a selfish nature is that, you know, we are are building up our church, building up our ministry, maybe sometimes building up our celebrity, uh, and especially with social media these days. And, and so, you know, but the goal really should be making Jesus famous. And, and that's tough because we're the flesh. I mean, we're, we are humans. We, we all, you know, kind of, have that nature where we and and God kind of convicts us and we have to catch ourselves, but it's it's making Jesus famous and um you know but but I'm glad that you clear that up about like not planned and because um you know some people may think oh these kids were just looking to skip class for for two weeks you know <laughs> yes, yeah <laughs> not 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 yeah. at all well and I can tell you actually for the university and and the students at some point it became uh, it, it was there was a cross to bear. Yeah, because uh, you've probably never been to Wilmore, but Wilmore is a tiny town. Yeah, I hear it's like one or two stoplights. I think. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. Well, one, uh, maybe one, <laughs> maybe it might be two. Um, and and on Saturday, the Saturday that I was there, there had to be twenty five thousand people in Wilmore. Wow. And people couldn't get to their homes. Um. And it's, you know, they they had to keep classes going because this university has a responsibility, you know, to educate these kids and they couldn't just shut the classes down. And and then all of a sudden now thousands of people are coming from the outside. And so for the students who were there, they they were put in in a position of being very inconvenienced. And 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 the faculty had to turn so much of their attention to this. They were doing double duty. I mean, I can tell you, I was looking in the eyes of people that had been there for two weeks, and they were so exhausted, yeah. but, but thrilled. They were not resentful. They were filled with joy, but absolutely exhausted. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's a sense of relief that like, okay, we're going to pass the torch on to everybody else, everywhere yeah. else, because I've heard at least, you know, anecdotes and stories, and I'm sure it's happening hopefully all over the U.S., but uh, uh, Lee University, yep. uh, Sanford University, just down the road from us in, in Birmingham. Yep. And what's interesting, I'm not sure if I saw it on, on your Facebook or somebody else posted about the, you know, Asbury, Lee, and Sanford are all different denominations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're not talking about, okay, well, this denomination's got it going on and the Baptists know what's going on and, and or Presbyterian or whatever. An interesting story with that, you were talking about people uh, dancing around and that may be not what you expect to see at Asbury. I, I grew up, you know, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian. I, I grew up in church, but it was, you know, maybe a little bit more formal. Well, I married a preacher's kid and her dad was an Assembly of God pastor. So right. I, Last, you know, 20, 25 years, I've attended Assembly of God, Pentecostal, which is different than I, what I was used to. People sure. raise their hands. They talk back yeah. to the pastor. It's um, and uh, and people, you know, there, there's healing that goes on in the, in the front. And so that was a, an eye opening experience for me. But um, to hear that that that's happening and it's not something that like, OK, well, this is what we do as a Methodist church and we're going to stick to that that uh, game plan, I guess. So uh, how do you feel about that in terms of maybe is this revival and it kind of the word spreading about it, does it kind of break down those walls of denominations? Absolutely. And, and I will say there was every denomination represented at, at, at there and, and Wilmore, I mean, Asbury itself, it's, it comes out of a Wesleyan Methodist tradition, but it actually is not owned by a denomination. And so there are many, many denominations in the Methodist tradition that typically are, are drawn to Asbury. But, I mean, there were Baptists. I mean, there was a guy, the first guy I prayed with, um, he came, as soon as, as soon as I got in the, in the room, somebody came to the altar. I went over, knelt down, I asked him his name, and I could tell he was not, uh, he was not um, from, uh, originally from America. And so I said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Nigeria. And uh, I said, well, where do you live now? And he said, Nigeria. And I said, well, so wow. why are you, were you why, what brought you to town? He said, this. He <laughs> said, I heard about this in Nigeria. And I got on a plane and I came here. Because wow. I wanted to be a part of what God is doing. So, I mean, there were literally people from all over the world. There were people from every denomination. And yes, Jason, to your question, I mean, I am a bishop in the Free Methodist Church, but I will tell you, my greatest desire, our greatest desire is not to build a Free Methodist Church. We want to see the kingdom of God um, moving among all the people of God in this country. And I think there's some value in denominations, but quite frankly, I mean, I'm a bishop, but I'm not denominationalist. You know, I don't believe that denominations are the answer to our need. Um, what we, in fact, what we've been through over the last three years with all of the polarization, all of the, the conflict. What we, I do pray that one of the great fruits of this revival is going to be a coming together of the people of God in ways that are not political. They are not even denominational. They're not social that it really is all about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And if we can somehow lay down all those things 
uh, all the things that have divided us over the past two or three years and say, can we just please get focused on Jesus and the kingdom of God and loving each other deeply and profoundly? Uh, I think we could potentially see a revival that would genuinely impact our nation. Um, but it, it is, and I will say, I think the majority of the people that went to Wilmore probably were church people. I mean, there were a lot of people getting saved, but the majority almost certainly were church people. And I do think that's important because God was doing a work in his church of calling people to repentance, of calling people to lay down things that they've held on to that were getting in the way. And if that happens on a broad level, I do think the church can truly impact this nation again in a, in a way that is kingdom-oriented and not political or denominational or any other thing like that. Yeah, it's well said. One last thing on, on Asbury and just a revival in America in general. Um, you also wrote on your on your kind of Facebook um, post uh, describing what your experience was in Asbury, saying that uh, we are living in a thin moment mm. of God's spirit moving freely and powerfully, and let's not miss this. So I guess the the big question is what's next? I mean, because like, you know, we're humans, we're busy, we have jobs, we have families, and people, you know, tend to like, oh, that was amazing that, that two weeks, and then we kind of move on back to our normal, you know, uh, lives. So uh, what I guess what's next? Well, that is that is such a good question, Jason. And you know that whole idea of a thin place is something that um, N.T. Wright has has written a lot about this. If anybody wants to go really dig into it, I would recommend some of the works by N.T. Wright, um, uh, Simply Christian, or uh, Surprised by Hope. <laughs> um, but the idea is this. For too long in American Christianity, uh, too many of us have had this idea that heaven is a faraway place that we go to when we die. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not biblical. I mean, it's not unbiblical that we are. I mean, we are. We do want to be saved. And we want to go to heaven. No doubt about that. But biblically, um, we see that God is always wanting to break into this world this world and that ultimately what god is going to do is not take us somewhere out there to a place far away he's going to completely restore this world that's what scripture teaches he's going to restore this world well he started that restoration project in jesus when jesus gave his life on the cross and and was raised from the dead that launched god's reclamation project to reclaim everything that was lost in the garden And what that means is that we are now living in a time where heaven and earth can be that close together. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. When he sent his disciples out, he said, I'm going to send my spirit with you. So the truth is we ought to be seeing the things of of, of heaven or the things of God's eternal kingdom uh, breaking into this world on a regular basis. I mean, I believe that's what happens when we see people uh, that are healed. That's what happens when we read the scripture and it cuts into people's hearts and exposes the need for forgiveness. That's what happens in worship services like this, where it it almost feels like we can taste a little bit of heaven. If that's a, that's what we mean by a thin place. That heaven, the kingdom of God, is that close. And I think the great uh, the message of this is. 
God really wants us to live without awareness all the time. That he wants us to always be aware that he is close, he is near, and he is always wanting to enter into our lives in this world to transform us and the world around us uh, as he works and ministers through us. And um, and that, too, is a place where we can get rid of this polarization. Because, you know, some people talk about uh, it's all about evangelism and getting people saved. And other people talk about it's it's about doing good works and we need to be out there serving the poor and doing things. Like, well, it's a both and. Um, we, certainly we want to see people get saved. But we want to see the things of the kingdom coming here. And Jesus said, I've come to proclaim the gospel to the poor and to release the captives and to set, you know, set the captives free and the relief, to release those who are bound. I mean, Jesus wants to transform the world around us, uh, even as he wants to save individuals. And so if we can get this concept that heaven is here, it's close, and we're meant to live with a deep awareness that God is always uh, at work and ready to work if we can just be aware of where he's moving. Yeah, if, if it's uh, positive action related to Jesus, the answer is D, all the above, right? So Absolutely. <laughs> it's Absolutely. not like we just do this. I mean, some people have talents and gifts to do. I mean, like you have a platform, I have a platform, and we hopefully use that to glorify him, not just to kind of like, oh, look at me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your job as a free Methodist uh, church um, bishop for the last, I guess it's been three plus years now, uh, a, a lot of that during the COVID pandemic, unfortunately. But um, so, you know, in terms of the what's next, um, what are you seeing in, in this leadership role overseeing a lot of uh, free Methodist churches around the world? What are you seeing are some of the the biggest successes, biggest challenges for the church today? I mean, COVID created, um, unfortunately, you know, some challenges with people not going to church in person, but that's hopefully getting better. Right. Yeah. Um, so one, the first thing I would say is having a global perspective is such a huge thing. Um, cause quite frankly, like I, I mean, part of my oversight is in the Middle East and in Europe, um, two radically different ways of going through COVID. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that the folks in the Middle East were not, it, it wasn't about politics and it wasn't about anti-mask or mask. These were people that just never lost focus of the kingdom. They had to deal with the pandemic, uh, but the kingdom always stayed in focus because here's the deal. These are people that um, if they convert to Christianity, may be excommunicated from their families or even killed. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people that are under real persecution. So the last thing they care about is politics or your opinion on whether you ought to wear a mask or not. Their deal is, hey, let's, let's we're laying our lives down for the kingdom and we're going after people who are lost and they never lost focus. Um, it was, it was mainly here in America and in some places in Europe that we got distracted by all these secondary issues. Um, and it divided churches, it divided families. And I, I just, I can't tell you how many times I thought, I wish people could get a global perspective because what's happening here is not what's happening in the church around the world. Um, and I'll say too, we have been seeing what's happening here in this revival has already been happening in the world in many places in, in unbelievable ways. I mean, I, we could do a whole nother podcast on the Middle East, but 
Um, it is unbelievable some of the miraculous ways people are coming to Christ in the Middle East. Um, and uh, and our church, and, and I think many others, are growing exponentially in one of the most difficult places in the world to do evangelism. Um, uh, we're, we're, I mean, our work is, is literally multiplying. It's not just adding, it's multiplying in some of these places. Um, and so there's already a great move of God globally. Yeah. We need it desperately here. And I pray yeah. that this is what this is going to be. And the Middle East and places like Israel that you were recently at, there's a, the higher, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming or I've heard that there's a higher percentage of people that have never heard the gospel. They haven't, sure. They, sure. they haven't. So, so like the, the, the harvest is ripe. Um, right. So whereas here like we have all the creature comforts in America and we have, you know, um, everything kind of at our fingertips and like, so we don't want for things. Whereas people that are, you know, the, the downtrodden or people maybe in countries um, that don't have much places like Haiti or whatever else yeah. where they, you know, yeah. they, they're, they're empty. So they want, and, they, and God fills them up. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I do, I do believe with all my heart that one of the key factors in birthing a movement like this is desperation. When we come to the place where we want a move of God more than we want anything else, more than we want comfort, more than we want prosperity, more than we want power, um, when we get to the place where we want Jesus more than anything else, that's where he moves. And I think that that's why what you just said is so true. There are many places in the world where desperation is, is their only option. Yeah. Um, they don't have a plan B. If God doesn't show up, they're sunk. Um, unfortunately, we've got a plan B, C, D, and E. I mean, we've got all these options, and it's going to take something. And and we certainly saw this among these uh, these Gen Z kids at, at Asbury and, and beyond. But there is until we get desperate for God to do something that only God can do, um, we won't see that kind of move. And I, I pray this is it. I uh, pray it spreads um, and that it goes to many, many churches, all age groups. But it will mean dying to some things that we have found a lot of comfort and security in. Yeah. It's, and that and that is uh, you stepping out of your comfort zone. You use that word comfort. I mean, that is uh, it's, a, it's a scary thing. It doesn't sound like much, but it is for us. I mean, because we we have this life that we're used to. We have the things that we enjoy and like, you know, um, but he, 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 God doesn't call us to a life of like, oh, you're going to enjoy everything. I mean, he tells us in the Bible that we're going to be, you know, or we're going to be ostracized. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. promised, you know, yeah. for us. And and before we go, Keith, I also wanted to talk to you about, you know, you were talking about, you know, this revival, hopefully spreading to different churches all across the U.S. and the world. And you've had an opportunity to be a part of planting churches. Tell mm -hmm. me about um how that happens and, and why that happens. Cause like, you know, we live here in Georgia and uh, in a Bible belt and some mm -hmm. people joke that there's a, there's a church on every corner, you know? So uh, what's the, I guess the purpose and uh, how does it happen when you plant a church on, or the reason for that? Yeah. I, I, so I, I'll say even in the, in the South where there are hundreds of churches, I mean, when we uh, felt led to plant Christ community in Columbus, 
I asked that question directly. I mean, I think I did the research and there were at the time 450 churches in Columbus. And I was like, God, why, why do we need 451? <laughs> um, but I felt like the Lord was calling us to something that was going to be somewhat distinct. And there's always a need for distinctiveness, but there's another factor as well. And that is the kingdom of God will never have a life cycle. It's always going to go forward. But churches often do have life cycles. There's a time where they are uh, growing and they're in mission and they're very passionate about that work and things are happening. God is moving. Lives are changing. We almost, I mean, it is this human tendency at some point to try to start institutionalizing what God has done. You know, whether it's saying, well, because God moved this way, I mean, every denomination does this, you know, because we were doing these kind of things when God started moving, we're going to do those kind of things forever. Um, and, and, and that's going to be our way of being forever. And God is moving on to the next thing. You know, God is saying, God is always moving on to something fresh and new. We tend to want to memorialize and institutionalize and get stuck. And eventually, if we do, that leads to death, or it leads to being so weak, it, the church has no influence. And so because of that, every church will typically go through some kind of life cycle, and many of them will end, um, or many of them will shrink. So there's always going to be a need for new churches that are really in tune with what God is doing right now. And the hope would be that those churches are, I mean, that the existing churches are working with those churches for the kingdom. Um, we don't want to create through church planting competition. That's not the point of it. Um, but it, church plants do tend to be fresh, and they tend to be a little more attuned to where God is moving right this moment. And that can and should benefit the whole body, but there's always going to be a need for for new churches. And and statistically, more people come to faith through new churches than established hmm. churches. And so Peter Wagner was famous for saying uh, the best evangelism strategy in the world is church planting. Because, you know, when you're just getting started, you're highly motivated to reach new people. And then we go back to that word again. Then we get comfortable and we begin to get satisfied and we lose our passion and the church kind of plateaus. Well, there's always going to be a need for those people that are on the edge, breaking new ground, planting new churches. And um, and God is going to always use that as one of the ways that he reaches people. Yeah. And one very last question for you, Keith. You know, I, I actually I think you might have said this on another podcast. I saw somebody quote you. Um, and you were talking earlier about how it's not about the politics. It's not about, you know, this and that, that, that gets us so divided that you said transformational change comes not through cultural wars, but mm. through radical revival. And so the question is, as some may, folks may be listening to this podcast while they're working out or driving somewhere or on their commute to work or whatever, um, you know, what can I do? What can we do as an individual that's listening to this podcast now to help promote revival? I mean, because it, it sounds like such a huge undertaking that like it, it's like, you know, some people may think, okay, well, what I do may not make a difference. So what can Keith or, or myself or Pam or whoever else, what can we do in our, in our world to, to help spread this revival? 
Well, I would just say, Jason, in the simplest terms, um, it is to be simply but radically surrendered to the Lord and just available to be used in everyday life. I mean, the truth is where God meets most people is just to influence the people that they're coming regularly in contact with, your neighbors, people you work with people you go to the gym with or whatever that you bump into. I mean, if Christians really started taking seriously, how can I love people in a way that points them to Jesus, the people that I run into every day, that in itself would be hugely impactful. But I will, since you brought up the whole thing of culture wars and that kind of thing, I will say this. There's there's a haunting prayer from Jesus in John 17. It's haunting, especially in this season, because Jesus says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. And then this is a kicker, so that the world will know that you sent me. Mm. I can tell you that the the church has never been despised more right now in America, in America than it is right now, um, by non-Christians. Non-Christians look at the church and say, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Christians are just fighting with one another. And, and they're, <laughs> I mean, why do I want to be a part of that? And I, I will be the first to say, biblical unity does not mean whatever you want to believe is okay. There, I mean, unity starts with there's some things we have to agree on. But what we've done is fight over things that have nothing to do with Scripture. Um, and fight over things that uh, are robbing us of our witness in, in our world. And I, I would say we need to say we are 100% convinced and committed to Jesus Christ as Lord. We're committed to the idea that we ha- that there we must be saved through faith, not works. Um, we must be committed to, to saying that the Bible is the Word of God, and we're going to orient our lives to the Word of God and not try to make God's Word fit into our culture. We have to agree on some basics, but we got to say right now, there's never been a time in America where the world needed to see a church that radically loves one another as we live out our faith. Um, We need to love each other deeply because that's what I believe Jesus was saying is that when the world sees that, the world's going to say, then that looks real. That looks like the kind of thing that God would create. And I want to be a part of that. Um, yeah. So. And, and I mean, like you said, it's so important. Be authentic. Be yourself. Don't yeah. don't try uh, to put on a show uh, because, you know, people will will see through that. that. That's the thin line as well, for sure. Well, Keith, uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your stories about Asbury and and uh, being a leader in the Free Methodist Church and and all, you know, I, I uh, yeah, we really appreciate all you and Pam do, and and I know that you know you um, kind of are humble about that, and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, obviously giving glory to God, but uh, we know that you you you've got to sacrifice a lot in the jobs you do, and and uh, I usually close out every podcast with prayer, so I'd love for you to uh, close us out today. Sure. Well, Father, uh, we do come to you um, hungry. Lord, we so want to see a move of your spirit that would be such a powerful move, a transforming move where lives are changed, that um, 
all we could do is step back and say, look what God has done. Nobody could take credit for it. No church, no denomination, no pastor, no worship team. Lord, that it would be so profound that we could, all we could do is worship you, glorify you, and give you thanks. Lord, I pray for all of those students right now in particular who have been in your presence uh, for, for hours on end and days on end. And for all those students that have come in from other universities, Lord, I pray that you would take every one of them and pour out your spirit on them. And as they go back to their universities, Lord, take this where they're going. For church people that came from churches all over this nation, just to be a part of this, Lord, let everyone go back and take that same spirit of hunger and humility and that desire to see you move. And Lord, may we see this begin to move in every church in our nation. Uh, and Lord, I do pray that you would once again make your church a force, not because we've got political power, not because we've um, we've got uh, financial influence, but because your spirit is transforming lives in your people and through your people uh, all across this nation. Lord, come, come and move and pour out your spirit. And we pray that... Um, uh, that there would be the, a work that would multiply and spread through this nation that would cause us to stand and give you all the glory for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Bishop Keith Tower. Man, I, after that, I, I feel like let, let's have some church, you know, come on, let's, <laughs> go have, let's have a revival on the podcast. So, uh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's, it's great to connect with you again, and hopefully we can uh, share some some coffee and some more stories. We can go, uh, we can go walk the streets and pray for folks in uh, good old Columbus, Georgia. Right. Amen. Jason, thank you so much for, for doing this. I mean, thank you for this ministry and for all the ways that you're helping to get the word out. God bless you. And uh, God's hand continue to be on you. All right. Thanks, Keith. Bless you, Jason.